Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Man, this week we have Dylan Sicoccio of the Holy Sailors. Uh, Dylan is an incredible researcher when it comes to the etymology of words. I've heard him probably in about at least a dozen different podcasts, spanning from Crow 777 to Chance Garten's Interverse podcast. And he always impresses me with his capacity to link the, in a very, I should say, astute, uh, much, much more, um, I guess you would say, scholarly way than I do, <laughs> where I'm just doing things anecdotally. He can link the the source of words and then knowing the timing of when these words actually or the chronology of these words when they showed up to actually understand the flow of civilizations so we originally got together to talk about the phoenicians and <laughs> in good old-fashioned gardenian way i uh we talked for two hours and didn't get to it so this podcast will be a, a part a and a part b if uh you're just looking for just straight gravy train i would go to the, the to the part b that's about an hour and a half long if you just want to uh kind of listen to how we flowed in and out because it was our first conversation ever in person. And uh, normally I have a little bit more of a rapport with the people that I'm, that I'm have had interviewed. And so <laughs> it was getting to know you, like it was kind of cool in that way. So it's, yeah, and all told, it's like three hours and 40 minutes. There's the first part, like I said, is just a little bit more lax and kind of storytelling. And the second part, Dylan just crushes his presentation of um, what we're calling the Phoenicians. Um, my work with Dr. Narcolongo, or actually me studying Dr. Narcolongo, studying Michelle Gibson, um, studying a bunch of the different lore around, uh, I guess you would say the pre-Columbus uh, Europeans that were here. In Have you ever taken a homeopathic remedy? Uh, no, I haven't. Is that Ho homeopathic? Homeopathy is really cool. So it's essentially, it's a reduction. It, it's, it's, it's the notion, it was the original notion of how a, of how a, uh, what's it called? A vaccine was supposed to work. So the notion is, is that our bodies are hyper intelligent. And so if you micro poison your body, your body will come up with a remedy for it. Well, homeopathy. Wow. If you know a good homeopathist, what they'll do is they'll listen to what's going on for you. And they have a whole list of cues from your psychology and then also a whole list of cues from your symptomology of your body. And then they like kind of cross-reference it. And it's, it's just like, you know, you have your excellent chiropractors and you have your shit chiropractors. Same thing with homeopathists. Okay. So a really good homeopathist will in, like both intellectually and intuitively understand oh okay you are presenting this 
this is what you need to counteract it. And so for me, I, you know, one of my best friends is a homeopathist and <laughs> the last remedy he gave me, I didn't even have to take the remedy. As soon as I held the remedy in my hand, I was, it was solved. So, That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, so this, so is it, so do they use like, like, like a spagyrics or something like that? Yeah. To like, yeah. yeah, yeah. They'll do a spagyric reduction. It doesn't necessarily okay. have to be a plant-based thing either. It could be, it could be a poison from like one of the homeopath, homey, homeopathic remedies that my wife had was uh, horse's milk. So oh, what wow. you do is they reduce that down into these like little tablets. And I think the tablets, I don't even know what they're made out of, but it essentially just imparts the signature like there's not even the, enough chemical in it to do anything. It just imparts the signature. And then if you have really good water, like I, I have all these vortex, water vortexers and things like that, you add that to your water and drink it. And then your body is signaled correctly. And it really, I mean, this is part of what I want to talk to you about. Like, it's all about signaling for me. Like if you're, if you're giving the correct signals and receiving the correct signals, then life... <laughs> life works out really well for you. And uh, that's what I love about your work, the little bit that I've gotten into it. You know, my, my wife bought your first three books like three, four years ago. Oh, wild. Yeah. I wonder how she found out, maybe through chance or something or crow? Well, I've been listening to all these podcasts and she always hops onto the podcast like she listens in the background. And she's like a real... Uh, she loves studying words, not the phonetic. Well, I guess the phonetics of word now that we have a little girl, we're always teaching our little girl through phonetics. Yeah. But uh, man, she heard your stuff and she ordered your first three books. I think it was three books. I know, I know for certain it was two. Yeah, because I published three in the last year. <laughs> yeah. Like I went because once I got on Crow, that like, pop my sales enough. So when I lost my jobs from the COVID, I just yeah. had nothing to do with myself. And I'm like, I'm getting out of LA. Uh, I'm making enough money to get by. I'm still below the poverty line now, whereas before I was would have been over six figures, but whatever. I'm freer now. And so I just like, let, I don't know what's on my plate. So let me just go as hard as I can at this. And then it, it allowed me to turn out three books. So Great. That's yeah. Well, let me yeah, be a good, if, um, let me be a good host. We get, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, I'll, if you if your stateside, if you have, give me your stateside address, I have a couple uh, kicking around of the new ones that I'm not going to use them, so I can send them to you. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, just let me know you yeah. what, uh, let me know what I owe you. Yeah, I'll text you. No, you don't owe me shit. Come on, dude. We don't do that here. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Friends I never, don't pay I, for shit. Like, <laughs> I never like to. We'll, we're, we'll be friends. Yeah, no, I would I would never offer that and be like, uh, <laughs> by the way, let me send you a bill. <laughs> that'd, that'd be forty-seven fifty. Well, it's kind of funny. And then, that by the way, if you ever if you ever do that to me, you're cut off. <laughs> well, it's really funny because I I've been dealing with uh, they're not Mennonites, they're not Quakers. What are they? They're the shoot. I'm forgetting what they Amish. Are. They're Amish, and so the really polite. You know, everything like this. Actually, I don't know if they're Amish because they use a phone. I'm talking to the guy on the phone. And so mm. I'm doing this whole thing with this big rocket mass heater and stuff like that. And he's like, you know, normally when I test products for people, they pay me, you know, they pay for my opinion and all that type of stuff. And 
like I'm talking to this guy and he's like, yeah, I really want you to try this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh, great. Perfect. You know, well, when do I get the machine? And like, you know, what's, what's the, what, what are you feeling is like a, a fair exchange for this, this type of, cause it's going to take, you know, a, a couple months to fully test this and all this stuff. He's like, well, I was thinking you pay, you, you know, like, I'll, I'll give you a, a discount on the machine. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm I'm doing the test for you, for your machine to actually, it, yeah, it was really kind of funny. So I kind of had that on my mind. It's just bizarre because it's not about the money, right? It's not like you can't afford it. It's just, it's the behavior. It's like, what? It's like, it's like suckering into, it's like a weird, uh, it's almost like a trap, you know, like that kind of behavior is very bizarre to me. You know, it's like, you got to be up front, you know, don't say you're going to give someone something. And then like, after you give it to them, be like, so, uh, you owe me this. It's like, what? Well, to I hate defense, that, but I also, know. I hate money. Like, it's not that I don't like money. I just don't like thinking about money. Yeah. I, I don't ever want, like, if I have to think about money, then it means don't do it. I don't want to have to worry about what we're spending. If we're going out to dinner or whatever with some friends, I don't want anybody worrying about, you know, it's like, if you have to worry about it, then don't do it. You know? Mm -hmm. I hear you, man. I totally hear you. My family tears itself apart over money. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Most do. Once people once people die and like you've got like all that inheritance shit, everybody starts. It's like, what? It's yeah. you see sides of people that you didn't. You just never thought it was possible, but it is. You know. Yeah. It's isolating. Yeah, I'm. I'm very happy that in my life, I I got to see very very wealthy people as a child. And I got mm -hmm. to like dabble in their world and like see how miserable they were. So I never had that notion in my own consciousness that I needed a seat at the table. Like I, I never felt like I'm like these people, if that's what I'm supposed to aspire to, I'm going the opposite direction. And so I've been mm -hmm. under the poverty line my entire adult life, you know, but uh it's yeah, crazy yeah. though the free time the free yeah. time you get to like mm -hmm. it's the amount of time you have to work to be, stay above the poverty time versus if you can get by and be in control of yourself not i haven't answered to anybody in over in almost three years mm -hmm. yeah pretty much like three years and i i haven't woken up to an alarm clock you know it's like are there things that i wish i could do yeah i would i would like to do stuff that you're doing and like um, I, I'm so impressed with like how you do the biodomes or whatever they're called and all mm -hmm. that. It's like, that to me is, it's amazing. And, um, I just think like if people can find ways to get by without having to like devote their life to something, the quality of life is a lot better. And, um, you know, there's, I'm, I'm even flirting with like selling my car and buying like a, just like a, uh, like a, like a cheap one for like, you know, four or five grand or whatever, and just mm -hmm. taking that extra money and, and not having to worry about car payments. You know, there's just all these little things that you can do to increase the quality of your life. If you're not making enough, you know, ideally I'm trying to just make enough money. So I don't give a shit about any of it, mm -hmm. but you know, you gotta work with what you have. I had a, I had a client in my early twenties and he, ironically, he was the wealthiest man I knew. And he gave me this book, how to live on $10,000 or less a year. And this was 1999. And he gave me this book and he was like, he's like, Topher, well, everybody called me Chris back then. He was like, Chris, 
the one thing you can never get back in life is time. And it, and it just rang true. Like he like kind of took me under his wing and he really liked me. And he was just like, the one thing you can never get back is time. And so from that moment on, cause I really respected this dude. I like, I engineered my life to have time. And I, it's been a real blessing. Like I really feel that I've been blessed with time. Like I've had enough time to let the creativity and to allow these, these innate uh, skills that were not being, you know, I guess you would say curated well by the, by the machine. When I, when I gave myself enough time, I was able to actually go and do these things and like experience and experiment because it takes a lot of time to experiment. I just think so many people, they, they're under such a time crunch that they just don't, they, they don't give themselves the, the time to experiment. That's like the, what you just described is why I felt compelled to do the spirit world books, because my goal was to bring, to bring people up to speed of an understanding of an ancient system that is still very much in play in certain ways today, albeit not the same system, like not, it's not the exact same, but to show people what's been going on without them having to sacrifice the time that I did. Because when I look back at it, in a selfish way, I regret, I regret doing it. Like if I had just been learning a trade or doing a business or something else, I could be, you know, maybe doing this in an older age where I've like already created a life for myself. But at the time I started doing this, I felt because of what I was seeing in like Hollywood and all this weird shit, I felt like there was such urgency mm -hmm. that if I didn't do it, then we'd have no chance in hell. And now the time is kind of passed and it's like the urgency isn't there anymore because it's almost like too late. Right. It's like, we're, we're definitely on the other side. Like there's no going back. There's no stopping. We're just going to have to go through what's coming. You know, could you elaborate on that? So let me at least say your name, your full name. Okay. Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> Welcome Dylan Sicoccio to the bio charisma podcast. Good. Good to finally have a conversation with you face to face. Yeah, we've crossed we've crossed the uh, paths a lot. Like I see you on my friends' shows, and I, we, we follow each other on social media. So it's kind of good to catch up. And you have like a, you have like a your your name, the root of your name, Chris, mm -hmm. is means good, and so you have that really good energy about you. And do, uh, do you want to hear to talk to you? Do you want to hear a funny story? Yeah. So I was, I was in this ashram and the, it was an Indian based ashram that was all about like, you let go of your former name and you, you choose your name. This is like a, a sign of adulthood. This is like, you've, you've arrived spiritually. It's like the whole notion of the, uh, the prodigal like son. born again. Yeah. Like the prodigal like initiation. Son, like, You've been out there and now you've come back and this is your choice. And so I was looking at all these names and I was like, huh, because everybody called me Chris, you know, when I was, a, when I was a young man and, and a kid and I was like, hmm. so I'm looking at all these names. And I'm not like going to take like some bullshit Indian name or whatever. And I just started <laughs> looking through a baby book and I, I saw Christopher and it said, it broke it down. It was Chris and then, or it was Christ and then Ofer. And it, Ofer was bringer of, and Christ was light. And you say Chris as in good. 
And I was like, yeah, so like, if, keep going, I'll, I'll write it down. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I love that. I want to be called Christopher because nobody called me Christopher. That's how it looks in Greek. That's uh, so this looks like CH. This would be uh -huh. the R. This acts as like an I or an E, and that's the sigma. And so this used to be, uh, if you look at old inscriptions, you'll see this oftentimes interchange. The eta became interchange, uh, interchanged with the IE, um, but that sigma is also interchangeable with the sigma tau, which is like ST, so that's where it would look like the Christ. Mm -hmm. But it's all coming from the same, it's just philology. It's all the same thing, mm -hmm. but Christ, yeah, good. And it does, and it, like um, the Manichaeans, it represented the sun to them, uh, the divine principle of truth in all religion. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a really good word, and so like when you see that good, it like that's what um, like if you were look at Christian in Greek, so it would be that Chris, right? And then Janos. Uh, so oh, there might be a T in there, depending on what uh, inscription you look at, but it means a good man, to be a good man. Oh, cool. And that's the whole purpose of, that's why they called themselves good fellows. Ah. And, and so, and, and, and for anybody, you can go read Justin Martyr's work and he'll admit that, yeah, to be a Christian, it's a pun on being a good man. And that's why, like, if you let go of, like, all the, you know, specific, you know, religious particulars, the word itself is a really good Thing. And I always tell you, like, you would want somebody who's a real Christian, you would want as many good men around you as you could, because that means you have a good community and a mm -hmm. good country. So it's a really, it's an awesome name, dude. That's And cool. it's an old name. And then I had found yeah. out that my last name was shortened in German from Baumgartner, which is tree gardener to gardener. So I was like, Christopher. The good gardener. Instead of the good shepherd, you're the good gardener. Exactly. And I was just like, whoa. So when I was like devising, when I was getting into biochar and stuff, I was like, huh, I really like, I really like this biochar stuff. And, you know, people say I'm charismatic. I'm like, ah, bio charisma, you know, the, the bio charismatic tree gardener. <laughs> well, what, what tree Christopher, is it a regular earthly tree or is it the world tree whose fruit, golden fruit are the stars? Because you're really into astrology and all that Ooh. stuff. So maybe there's another layer of meaning into that. So, dude. And I sometimes don't like my name, but I also sometimes think like there maybe there is like a spiritual thing that is chosen for us. Well, let's, I don't know. It, that's just, just that's emotionalism. But sometimes I get these weird like reminiscences. Well, let's get into because like I do love the meta side of things. Like I'm very Piscean. I like want to know the big picture, the context, and then work my way backwards. So mm -hmm. that's why I love your work. You know, just so you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I'm a very pragmatic, and I go with like language and his, like the stuff that I can prove. But I'm into it. I'm into like all the stuff you're doing. I just, I just make sure what I put out in a professional capacity, I can back. But I do like all the spiritual stuff. I, you know what I, I mean? get I just it. Don't, I don't have the answers. You know, I've had interviews with all you professional types, and I always try and say, like, I'm like, look, I understand. I'm not holding anybody to the fire of like, oh, if you say one little thing, I'm going to like land base you. 
dude, I make mistakes all the time. I tell everybody I work. I do too. That's why I don't like podcasts so much. Cause then when I make a mistake and I know I make a mistake, it like bothers me. I don't know why I'm just like, Oh, I, I said the wrong thing and I need to correct it, but now I can't correct it. Cause a bunch of people have already gotten it. And it's like, so, no, no so way for the here. audience, we might get a bunch of shit wrong. Just give us some, uh, give us podcasts are very challenging. They're not an easy thing to do for the audience. So if we F stuff up, don't, don't like burn us. Bullshit. Fuck you audience. If you don't like us messing up, <laughs> I I'm always telling Owen, I'm like, Owen, dude, to be a real bard, you do not give a shit. You really yeah, like, he's good at that. Like you really just get into a flow state. Like if you're always monitoring and always checking, like I've done interviews where the person is too scared to like say something incorrect. And I have a ton of compassion because like in construction and all the businesses that I'm paid, like I have to be, you have to be precise. I have to be correct. So I understand that. But like when I like a podcast is a conversation. And like, especially my podcast, I'm making zero claims. It's just essentially, you know, people conversating, trying to get a, a macrocosmic view with the little bit of information that we have. That's it. That's it. That's the, the well, if we get into Phoenician gravy, that's where I'm going on it. If we do, I will make claims, but I've got citation. I got a lot of shit I can back up with it. So great. Great. When I do make claims, I'll tell you I'm making a claim, and I won't. Uh, and by the way, uh, Topher and I are not co-branding. If I say anything that disrupts his audience or you guys, whatever, <laughs> or if I say anything that like he doesn't like, it's my responsibility. Don't hold him accountable for anything I say. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. That, all the, uh, the turbo autists out there. Oh yeah, dude. So so you brought up the world tree. And so yeah. I'm, I've been into astrology for 27 years now. I've gone through all different phases of like astro like ways of looking at astrology. The you like measure the, stuff. Do you go out with instrumentation and like, like sextants? I, I or, did. You know, I like did that. when I took this class called Celestics from John Lamb Lash. Um, mm -hmm. That was all real sky astronomy. And for, for, it was a three-year period that the course was, but each season, you know, you have different stars in the sky and I was down in the tropics. So for a good six months out of every year, you, you don't, you can't see the night sky because it's so cloudy. Isn't it interesting how it's like, it's like that up North too, you know, yeah. like there's a very, that, that the way they were able to get astronomy it's a specific region. And that's why the Egyptians are so adept to it. The, the Mesopotamians, the Arabs, because they've got those fine nights of the mm -hmm. desert, you know, it's dry, crystal clear, and they can just measure it every night. And that's how, that was one of the reasons why, like I had an aversion of the system coming from Britain. Cause it's like, yeah, I understand you guys are part of the system, but you don't have the skies to measure this stuff precisely. Right. Right. So he was very big in teaching the, well, he, he had the Western cosmology in the sense of the Western archetypes, but he was, he was the first person that introduced to me the notion of like the constellations, all of the signs are actually, they were originally intended to be the constellations. Like the signs were not supposed to. What do you mean to, by that? 
Well, right now in, in Western tropical astrology, the signs that they use, the 12 signs in, in tropical astrology, they're all mm. exactly 30 degrees in the sky. So you have 12, 12 signs that are oh, 30, 30 degrees. So that makes 360 degrees. That makes the wheel, the zodiac. And the, and the year is not 360 degrees. So it's always going to be it, off. It's not only that. I mean, a circle is 360 degrees, but it's very evident when you look at the, the night sky and you look at Virgo, Virgo takes up like half the sky. And then you look at Scorpio and Scorpio takes up like a little minute part of the sky. So what really? Because up here, Scorpio is massive. When you say up here, like where, where I am in Idaho, I'm a, well, I don't, yeah, I don't want people to know where I am, but uh, yes, up, up near like the 49th degree of north latitude. And what's crazy, dude, is like the sun. So our day, our, our days, like it gets light in the in summer at like 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. and then it doesn't get dark till 10 a.m. And I'm not kidding you can see the sun it literally makes a circle hmm. like it's it's not like it rises in the north east comes all the way around and then sets way up there in the northwest right. it's freaking nuts but like when i look at it um because i go out on the lake or whatever and i can see uh scorpio's big and it's like one of the most prominent things to find, but all that stuff is like, it's way closer to the horizon. than like, right. if I were like, onto like, uh, like LA or whatever, or somewhere, you know, down yeah. South, it changes. It's, it's so bizarre. And like, same with the big dipper, it looks like it's just, mm -hmm. it, it looks like it's like flat, like right above, like it, you know, cause one of the things we, we, we have this thing, uh, called atmosphere that they've named and it, presupposes that what's above us is a sphere mm -hmm. but the further north you go it doesn't look like a sphere at all in my opinion and you know atmos is gas and sphere sphere whatever is, is sphere and that's begging the question because right. gases we don't experience gas in sphere form ever unless it were to take the shape of a container that's a sphere mm -hmm. but nobody knows what the container is so how can you claim that it's a sphere Right. And so everything has changed for me moving up north and just like kind of going outside and looking at this shit myself. And it's like the world becomes your oyster because you realize that all these people were wrong, like uh, like what they've been telling us. Yes. And I'm sure they know. I'm sure they know. But uh, yeah, the, the people in the know know. <laughs> yeah, because because it's almost like you would have to know in order to lie so well about it. You would right. have to know what would work and what wouldn't work. Right. And then you'd have to institute a schooling system that totally, you know, <laughs> conditions people not to use their minds. With the Celestics, you know, you start like I was at nine degrees of latitude. So I was at what I was watching Holy everything shit. pretty much go right over my head. And so you could really see with a sextant how large these constellations were. And so in Geotish, the original Geotish, before they before Geotish was converted to be more popular in the West, there was 13, you essentially had the 13 Dakinis that were connected to the 13 moons in a year. But the, the, there's 13 moon cycles in a year, but it's, it takes a little bit, it, it's faster. It, the moon moves faster than the sun does. So the way that works is you end up having where if the sun cycle takes 365.14 days, 
the moon takes 376 days for 13 for 13 it's cycles point, it's point two four two five now yeah the gregorian so the whole how dare you i uh, know so the whole thing that works with that is like you know they they were like okay you have Scorpi Scorpionus, and then you have Ophiuchus, depending on where you were in the world, the where the sun actually moves through. Sometimes it moves through Ophiuchus, sometimes it moves through Scorpio. So they had 13 constellations. Wait, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Like, like uh, I'm trying to conceptualize this. So if the sun's like at the, you know, going into the... Um, towards the Tropic of Cancer, or Capricorn, I should say, going into like the winter solstice, why would the sun move towards, why would the sun be closer to Ophiuchus than Scorpio if it's the same, like the stars are fixed? As I understand it in the Northern Hemisphere, it's all because it's line of sight, right? So- Oh, interesting. So in the Northern Hemisphere, we're seeing it in Ophiuchus during, during that time of year. In the southern hemisphere, they're actually seeing it in Scorpio. So wouldn't that be a like an evidence of it being local? I think wouldn't it is local. <laughs> like just because the, like, the angles would change so much, right? You you teased it at the beginning. Like the world tree is the axis mundi, is our spine, is is the is the yeah. oh, I've had I've had so many experiences of the sun being local. And then um, for years and years and years, I worked with a shaman and I would be like the ground during ayahuasca ceremonies and how interactive the, the luminaries were with us in, the, in that space. I'm absolutely convinced it's a local thing. And it's really weird. Tom Barnett and I have been talking because like the what the the biggest weather modifier is our consciousness like once you start to really understand what you are as a being here and what this like you know very 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 elaborate god sponsored hologram is it's really much more malleable than we think it is so then if that's the case why is like the why is the weather in the in the the patterns of the sun and the stars so consistent if we can change it well it's because the majority of people that figure it out they're no longer in the realm interesting so like you think like it once you get to a certain point like god kind of plucks you out and's like all right you figured out the game you don't need to be here anymore yeah like or this is the way I've I've felt it and experienced it, this is the realm of free will, but it's also the realm of death in a way. Like this realm doesn't really exist because it's temporal. So it it's very, very enticing. And we experience yada yada. We I mean, there's infinite experience that we can have here. And at the same time, it's still temporal and you only experience one thing at a time. So there is, there's only that moment. There's only that. So we have this continuum that we call our soul. We have this continuum that like pieces all these moments together and it, and the ego and all these other things will like 
have an importance to it. And I really think this realm is here for us to choose whether or not we want the temporal or the eternal. And so it's up to us. It's up like uh, the souls that are here, we give subjective experience to God because we get to have choice. So God gets to have a new POV. <laughs> like we yeah, always think about that. Whatever that is, is experiencing everything all at the same time yeah. from everything. And it's getting like a, a POV that's network. original. You know, that's why I really think, you know, God is the creator. And so God really loves those that create God, like, is like, oh my goodness, you're creating like this POV, even though I knew this was going to occur, this point of view is novel. And so that you, novel POV gives, gives substance to the creation in a way, but in the end of the day, this is not, not what we would call real. It's very convincing, but it's not real. No, so, I, I get that. And like, even when um, like something happens to your health, whatever, like your body's breaking down, but it's not your soul that's breaking no. down. It's the vessel. You're not changing. Your way of thinking isn't necessarily like your identity's not changing, but you're being limited by the vessel that you're you're in. And that's the humility of it. I could see the humility mm -hmm. of aging, like. We started this conversation off with me talking about my 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 problem, my back problem. I'm I'm in pain, terrible pain last night. There's nothing I could do. I'm not going to take any drugs or anything like that. So all I did was with my POV was I went into the pain. I fully experienced the pain. Like I I didn't try and avoid it. I didn't try and resistance. I got into complete acceptance and I got investigative with it. And I like went directly into it. And it was like, I got relief and I was able to get like four hours of sleep. Like it just going into it and not fighting it and experiencing it. And that was one of my first Raja yoga teachers was like, everything that exists wants to be seen, wants to be acknowledged. And I was noticing like this pain that I was feeling as a thing, I had been fighting it. I hadn't been acknowledging it. I hadn't been respecting it. So I, I went into it and I was like, oh man. And it was tough. It wasn't an easy thing, but it did. I, I was able to get behind it. And I think all of existence is kind of like that. Like if you have the mindset is key. Yeah. Like I, I, I published a book earlier uh, last year that's totally independent of spirit world. And it was about like how I, cause I zeroed out at the end of like, like 2019 and my life was just not going well. Everything was falling apart and getting back into shape and getting, turning my life around. One of the mindsets I had to develop because for anyone who's like ever like, you know, worked out, it, it is just, it's uncomfortable. You're mm -hmm. pushing yourself. It's not fun, but it's what your body needs that kind of like how trees need the resistance of the wind to become strong. Otherwise, if you don't have that wind, that resistance, they die. And it's like one of the mentalities, how you're saying is like embracing the pain. That's kind of the way I looked at it. Like I would literally be like, I'm here for the punishment. I'm here for my punishment. I'm here to set responsibility and I'm here for the nightmare. And once you start getting into that mode of like, I'm fucking here for it. Let's do it. Do your work. Like you almost just, if you just like trust that it's coming from God and it's coming from something that has your best interest for you, you can deal with it a lot better than if you're like clawing and, you know, trying to get out of it, you know, not face the music. Definitely. Yeah. I had this moment 
when Nick, Nick Saban took over our, our football program when I was at Michigan State. And when he came in, it was like he wanted to cut out all the dead wood. So our spring football training was like murder's row. And I remember this is like the first week of, of the strength and conditioning program. And this was a, a, a very bloody day. And he, I, we were all puking. We were all heaved. It was just like, it was just horrific. And I wanted to quit. Like I was right there. I was on the precipice of quitting. And so I got up to the line and we were doing the sprint stead test. And I was like, okay. I had my hands on my, on my sides and I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to die. And then I, they blew the whistle and my group was started. So I started to sprint and I'm like in so much pain. And then I hear him in the background and he goes, it's not that you can't do it. It's that you think you can't do it. And then as soon as I heard that something switched in me where all the pain and all the stuff that was in my body, all the resistance, it was just resistance. I could see it and not care. Where do you think he learned that? Oh, I think it was just being around so many Uber athletes. He's a very small statured man. He's only like, I don't know. I think he might be five, seven or five, eight. Like he's a little dude. And he played, I think he played defensive back at Akron or like something like Miami of Ohio. And he was a deep, like I could see him, he could throw a football really well. Um, but he was a smaller guy, but like when you're a smaller guy and you're around all these like Ubermensch athletes, like you have to be that much better. That you have much, to be much that better. much better. And your mind kind of goes into it. That's why I'm always a natural scout. That's why like, like I love everything with anatomy and physiology. Cause as, as only a five foot nine guy, I could play sports at a very high level, but I was very aware of my limitations. So I always, I always geared myself to go towards my strong suits. Cause if I went towards my limitations, I would have been eliminated. <laughs> That's why I, I played quarterback and defensive end in high school and stuff like that. I was like, I'm going to get killed in college. Like I'm going to be a kicker. <laughs> I could kick the shit out of a ball. I'm just going to do that. Cause all these guys are massive. So I think Nick Saban I'm speaking, I'm, he, I never had this conversation with him. I just think when you're around so many athletes and so many masters of their body, they literally have that, like, it's almost a disassociation with their body. They really don't care that their body's in pain. But normally, well, normal, well-adjusted people, we do care. Until they've retired. <laughs> Until they retired. And then you see, like, what was that guy? Who's the running back for uh, the Houston Texans? He was really good. Adrian something, I think. Oh, he was, uh, Adrian he was Peterson? Running... No, not Adrian. Oh, man. He was a running back for the Houston Texans for, like, a good decade. He went on, like, Joe Rogan or something. He was like, if I could do it. He's like, my body's in so much pain. Mm-hmm. My collarbone's still broken. He's like... The stuff that you have to put on, you have to play injured. Otherwise you'll get, yeah. you'll lose your job. He's like, I would never do this again. If I could go back. Eight, oh man. Damn. He was, he was really good too. If you had him on your fantasy team, he kicked ass for a couple of years. Oh yeah. Know, was it Adrian Foster? Yeah. Oh, Arian, Arian, Arian Foster. Foster. Arian Foster. There you go. Yeah. 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 He yeah. was, he was he's really, really eloquent good. when he speaks about it. He's really eloquent. Well, the majority of ex-football players that I know, and I have a really good friend that is like 
three-time world champion rugby player all of us were in the meat grinder like we like none of us would ever have our kids do that <laughs> yeah that's exactly what they say everybody says that on the other side like, Don't do yeah it. like the level like actually my last season i was like sitting in a locker room after a game and it was like in one like i'm looking at all my friends all my teammates and they're all these like entrepreneurial dudes good looking height of physicality all this good stuff and like smart and we're all having a good time laughing our asses off but the one thing we all shared in common whether we we're like black white or whatever all of us were injured every single one of us had had a debilitating injury and I remember having this realization. I was like, oh, this pro sports is a meat grinder. They're just having, they're rewarding, they're incentivizing the alphas to take each other out. That's the whole thing. It's kind of like war too, right? Exactly. That's why I'm so against war is because a lot of those guys are the very guys we need here at home taking Precisely. out the trash, not being squandered overseas. Yeah, yeah, they incentivize the, the meat grinder. That's why these guys get paid so much money. Is one, they love false idolship. That's like a, that's a huge thing. But the secondary thing is you're put in, there's so many ways in which you can fail bad. <laughs> like if you go into uh, to like a vocational school and you become a plumber or whatever, there's not many ways you could really fail badly. <laughs> It, when you go into the like the the athletic realm, the very very high end, uh, like you have to produce. When you fail in that realm, you got gold diggers. That you got so many people digging on on you that want your energy. It's amazing, and they all turn on you. Think about like all the think about all the grown men. That's why I don't watch sports anymore. Is once I realize like. I think like once you get to a certain age where you start being older than the players and you still watch it there's something wrong with you. yeah you know it's like like you're watching kids play a kid's game getting paid a lot of money and then you're getting mad at people you don't even know and like it's just vile behavior like wow why did this ever become acceptable behavior in this country and i think that's why we see so much on like the internet like there's no manners anymore there's no respect in this country and that lack of like that code of honor that we like, I feel like at least when you and I were growing up, if you said shit to people in person, they probably beat your ass. Mm. And so there were people. So if, even if you never got in a fight, you saw what caused somebody to get their ass beat mm. and you saw like the code. Like, yeah, you have to have even if you don't like someone, you have to show like a, you have to conduct yourself in a certain politeness mm -hmm. that we don't have anymore. And I think that's one of the things that's like sinking our society to like the bottom is everybody thinks everything's sports and you can just say whatever you want to anybody and it's perfectly acceptable to break each other down and it's dude it's all it's always been vile just now we can see it yeah, in the yeah. in the 90s if i missed a field goal if i miss any field goal in any game i was getting death threats Jesus Christ. How were you getting death threats before the internet? Were they calling you? Are they finding you on like the yellow pages? Yeah, I, I was listed in the in the in the school directory. I was in I was in the Wonders Jesus. Hall. Like you're in a directory because you you are in a dorm room. That's yeah, unbelievable. Dude. No, it's always it's been unbelievable horrible. that 
It's always yeah. been horrible. It's just now. Like, I guess I never noticed it because I was never in a position to notice it until the internet. It's part of the reason why I lost like my my joy with it. Like to this day, I love going out and kicking a football. My daughter has the genetic propensity where she kicks everything and she kicks it really well. Like I love it and I'll always love it. I hated fans. You'd have some schmuck who's never done anything with his life try and tell me something. Somebody who's never performed at a high level ever is trying to come at me. I'd be like, motherfucker, I can outperform you 10 ways from Sunday in anything. What have you ever done? And, but dude, it, it wore me down. I'm too much of, I'm too empathic. Like I would get, I was just like, I didn't have a thick enough skin. And I wonder if there's an art to like, I feel like there's an art to isolating yourself. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, like for what we're doing, right. We have to kind of put ourselves out there because if we don't, nobody's going to market us. Like, it's almost like we're in business for ourselves. We have to market our work, everything. But if you get to a level where you can afford to hire people to do that shit as like buffers, Mm -hmm. it's, it's paramount. You know, I think that's why like Hollywood, at least before um, social media, like that's the purpose of like these managers and agents and stuff is they're doing things for you that if, if they were to like ask for more money or try to make deals, people would end up disliking you. But because it's like your agent, they're the ones that's getting like the energy and you're not getting the agent, the energy. And I think with the internet, it's just made everybody get instantaneous access to have whoever they want. So it's like, I would just recommend for people like if you don't have to be on the internet, don't unless like social media, unless you're mark, unless you're selling something, if you have a service to provide, then it's great. But it's a, it's a conversation of diminishing returns with every interaction. Absolutely. Strangers. You don't even know. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really, it's, it's weird. Just human nature overall, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So people, you know, you could have a hundred fans that love your work and then you could have one like absolute jerk off that is spouting off at the mouth and it kind of ruins the whole thing. Even though it's the one you get. Yeah. That's the one who's going to leave the reviews. That's the (laughs) one who's going to post comments. It's because in in reality, like as a well-adjusted person, if I, if I haven't liked something, I don't, I just don't ever watch it again or don't. I do. I assume I treat it. I like treat it like food. It's like, just cause I don't like something doesn't mean it's not good. It just Precisely. means it's not for me. Precisely. So it's just like, Oh, move on. Da, da, da. And so now I know the people that have that, that venom, that vitriol to like actually go after someone. I'm like, Oh, you an asshole. <laughs> I think, well, I think that's what we love about Owen so much is he, 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 he's so good at encapsulating that energy. He goes, oh, you sir. And like, yeah. he like literally embodies the fucking archetype of these people it's so great it's so good oh that's what i love anybody's ever like when you go when you go viral online for negative things it makes logging on for me i get like a knot in my stomach Mm -hmm. like when i get negative attention online it really fucks my world up like i i i can see how it would make me sick so i don't really i don't really go on the internet other when i other than when i have like a post I just share like my post and then I get the fuck out. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. I, 
I've learned how oddly enough, be being a massage therapist, I've actually learned how to shield. So now all that stuff that it was kind of taking on the chin as a young man, I don't ever take on the chin anymore. What did you adjust? Like, what was it a mindset thing? Or was it's it a like bio an actual practice. So the subtle controls the gross. So all I have to do is intend that I'm completely protected and then know that I'm protected. And then when it comes to my, my actual body, my hands and my feet, having them with the ground, and then I can even actually make surrogate hands and surrogate feet. So let, let's say I'm inside because I'm incapacitated. I can actually make surrogate feet walk outside and my body will get the grounding. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to like, you know, attack, whatever, I think part of it's just being mature, like having a maturity. Like I know if somebody's coming at me with all this vitriol, I know that I don't I don't have that. It's my weakness. Like when <laughs> someone's because I still treat it like when some like before the internet, if somebody talked to you, you wouldn't just ignore them, you would respond. And uh -oh. I for some reason my brain cannot get over this. Like I ha I feel like sometimes I have to respond when I see someone posting an untrue statement on my page. And it's not on other people's page, it's on my page. You know, it's like my notifications, that's it. I'm not like going to other people's profile, but that is like big time my number one weakness is responding. Well, I'm not saying I don't I don't like actually engage. In fact, I, I kind of like engaging like that. I still have a little uh, <laughs> fight fight in me. But it's more like I I really understand me. And like, I understand what my intent is. And so if somebody has, if somebody comes at me with, with some, some vitriol or some hate, I know they're hurting. Like, I know that, like, I know they're a wounded duck and, um, that can be manipulated. Like if somebody's coming at you like that, it's very easy to, to break them down. And then what I had to get used to back in the day was the bots. Oh yeah. And you think you're having a conversation and it's literally just not even real. Cause it wasn't, I, I couldn't understand the con cause I couldn't feel the consciousness. I didn't know. I didn't know that bots even existed. Like what, what kind of person talk like who does this <laughs> behavior? But you know changed my life. When I saw the bot, just real quick. There was a girl that, that I knew, she was learning how to create these bots and she, I don't have them anymore, but she sent me the hashtags on Twitter to look at them and how the bots trained each other. And when I go look at the hashtags, you just see like bots, like you'll see more advanced bots posting like classical music and all this stuff, quotes to, to the new bots and literally training them. The bots raising the bots. And it was like, that was like one of the most freaky eye-opening things that I ever saw. And I just knew that the internet was done. Like, like the, the, the organic, whatever you thought was going to be organic online, gone. Mm -hmm. That was like in 2018, maybe 2017. Do you, do you think that's why the internet's shrinking now? Probably. Probably. Cause I, I mean, maybe if, if you could like get rid of the bots, like, the thing is, is people use bots as an excuse. So sometimes they're not bots, but a lot of times that maybe that could be like if, if a 
if a social media company were to find ways to cut that out, then that would definitely um, definitely switch it. But I also think, uh, or definitely diminish it, but I also think people have fatigue because it's like all the people that used to find joy in like social media and yes. stuff, it's not there anymore because of these environments, because of how commercialized it got, because of like how infested it got with all these corporate powers versus the organic nature. Like, do you remember like when it first came out and you would post something and people would see it on their feed when you posted it? No algorithms, no, is this exciting? It just you saw what you, you were subscribed to when they posted it. Mm-hmm. And if they posted at a time you weren't on, you didn't see it unless you scrolled. And it's like, that organic thing that gave everybody like the joy of social media and being able to market yourself, right? Because I remember I used to be able to get like 400 followers a day just by using creative hashtags. Mm-hmm. I've been at 2000 followers on Instagram for five years because they knew they, they don't delete me, but they, they mm-hmm. shadow ban the hell out of me. So I don't get reach. And right. I think I just use my Instagram as a, a resource. I'm not there to market anymore. Like the stuff that I post is for me in case I want to really find stuff again. Right. And, uh, but if you're a business, why would you keep participating in social media if you weren't using it as an archive? It's, it's pointless. It unless is. you're not shadow banned. Unless you're not shadow banned. Like if you just have a, a, a normal business that doesn't ever talk about anything controversial. But I was surprised. I was like, man, I'm not even, pl- like I don't vote. I'm, I don't like I'm I'm in I'm neutral. I don't really take sides because I think everybody's fucked up in politics and all that stuff in the game of empire. And even I got the shadow banned. Like I remember when I my Twitter had like 70k. I went from having 400,000 followers or 400,000 impressions on a tweet to then 1,200. Mm-hmm. All because of that fucking pizza. Uh, right. You know. You know, because I was like sharing that shit because when that first was coming out and you've seen all those Instagram posts on people, you're like, what the fuck? You know, so I, mm-hmm. I, I definitely got caught up in that emotionalism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what they do is they they evoke you, find out who's going to be the most to talk about these subjects and then digitally mm-hmm. assassinate them. So nobody sees their voices. And then they it's like it's like every time they, they do this all the time, I think they just like. That's what like the psyops are for to get people to reveal themselves and then they silence them. I really think they promote nihilism. And as somebody like mm-hmm. you that's teaching what you're teaching, uh, it's too empowering. The people that are mm-hmm. supremely empowering, they they end up cutting. I had a podcast in 2015 and 2016, and I did a series of podcasts with three really excellent guests back to back to back. And the computer was acting weird. Everything was just getting funky. And I was like, ah, this is a consciousness thing. This isn't supposed to be right now. Like, it's just not. Like, this isn't. Like, it came before its time? Like, like, like almost like someone summoned it? <laughs> it was very interesting because I, I, was, I was actually talking a lot with a friend of mine, Tracy Twyman. And she oh, yeah, had a lot, she had a lot of spirit activity around her. And so we were, we were friendly with each other. Like she told me a lot of private things and she I was looking at some dark stuff at the end. Not only the end, she's actually, oh, yeah, I mean, all the way through, but like she was getting more, she, she was, was getting more at. towards the light at the end. She started oh, really? off in the deepest of the deep. She was actually, I still have her last message to me. She was really really come to like 
a, a place of acceptance with her, her study of the world. Like she really felt like she, she kind of knew the, the top of the pyramid because she had like a 15 year period of like really investigating that. And she got through the darkness of it and she could see the other side of it. And then she was gone, you know? And, and that's so sad because that's one of the things that people get scared away when they look into all this stuff is they think like there's some sort of like demonic energy that's going to be attached with you looking into the occult or whatever. And there's not, it's, it, you actually need to understand this to get to that other side where then you realize the beauty of the system and then you see how it's been perverted and then you realize, okay, if you can get past the perversion, the system is based on nature and mm -hmm. nature is the most beautiful. That's what God created. You know, like that is our original matrix, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the sad part is because people don't, they don't, they don't want to get past those like, and I, and you know what, I, that's kind of like, I almost regret my first two books because they went really deep into some of the dark stuff of the current paradigm, because I, I think it's what we need to get average people learning about. Like you need to know about the SESTA KV trust system. You need to know about mm -hmm. all these legal fictions because that's how they're subverting our country and our sovereignty. But it also, it can be intimidating for someone who's never, never even knew that that shit was going on. And then they discover it for the first time and they're like, it can handicap you if you're not ready. So that's like, oh man, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like decide like what, how do you, how do you reveal this to people? So for me, I was just like, I'm going all out. Fuck it. I just talked to it. Like I would talk to my, my, a lot of people get mad at me sometimes. Like I get a lot of angry, like not a lot anymore, but at first I got a lot of like angry messages. People think I'm like offending them, but it's like, I'm literally writing to my 16 year old self. That's like, the, that's like, I'm like, you dumb, arrogant little prick. You know, like that's kind of like, I'm talking to myself and I write the way I talk. And so if you're not ready for that in the first two books and the third book and beyond, it gets more scholarly. Mm -hmm. But the first two books is definitely like I was writing to myself, like, what would I want someone to tell me and shake me up so I didn't go to Hollywood? I'm mm -hmm. grateful that I went to Hollywood, but I, I was so, dude, when I first went out there, I thought everybody who was famous and wealthy, they were nice and everybody liked to work with them. And that's why they were famous and wealthy is because they were good people. Mm -hmm. You were an innocent. <laughs> I was, dude, I'm even like the, even like the people high up, like I'm talking like presidents of like Disney, like fucking Warner brothers. When they, I would make friends with everybody. Cause I was so naive and innocent. And so I was friends with everybody. I didn't, I didn't know about anything. So like when I was moving around all these power with these powerful people, I had no fucking clue what was going on. Mm -hmm. None. And I fit in back then because I was anti-war, anti the Bush stuff. But not because I was a Republican or a Democrat. I'm just I'm against illegal war. I don't want war, you know. And and Hollywood sentiment at that time was very much aligned with that kind of like a libertarian style like sentiment. And then as soon as Obama got in and extended everything that Bush was doing, they flipped. And it's like okay, now we're pro-war. Now we're you know pro-surveillance. Now and it was like I didn't change, so I stopped fitting in. But I was so naive when I was around all these powerful people. And they used to introduce me when he'd be like, he's pure as the driven snow. Like to this day, I have friends that would do drugs. Like I have friends that would literally like pull out their cell phone and like do coke off the, the, the screen of the phone. I've never done coke. I've never done a drug. 
I don't consider like herbs or like um, entheogens drugs that, you know, if it's nature, God made it. I don't think that's a drug, but yeah, I've never done anything. Good man. And it's just, yeah, it's just, I just, yeah, I just never felt called. I've done ayahuasca and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that's wonderful. I don't consider those drugs. Yeah. Where, I just think that, where I think did you doing it for spiritual? Go ahead. Where did you partake with the ayahuasca? Um, there is without, without saying too much, cause I don't want to put them on blast, but, um, there was a, uh, a shaman from, uh, who got trained in Peru and he left because this, the tribes down there were all using it for like spiritual warfare and shit on each other. He was like, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it anymore. So he came, uh, back and like, I guess they, they do traveling ceremonies. So they travel all over the world and bring that peruvian like the actual ritual smoking of like that special tobacco from there filling the room you know because that invokes mm-hmm. it they have all these like little like almost like rainforest instruments so it yes. sounds like you're in a forest and and uh and people don't know why i'm like shaking my hands but there's like this like frequency that you can get with this like a yeah like and there's a point where it literally invokes the purge, the purge. But yeah. I didn't purge my first time because I, 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 I dieted like right up, like a month leading up to it. I was on a strict like vegetarian a dieta. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it really is an experience. It's beautiful, but it's not fun. And I've never felt called to do it. I got a bunch of like, um, like one of the experiences I had, I, I was, I got access to, um, I don't know if this is an Italian thing, but I interacted what, with what we would call a kidna. And she's like, kind of looks like um, serpentine on the bottom. She's an aquatic archetype for like the sea. Mm-hmm. And you'll see this like in like Italy, the statues and stuff. And so she kind of, she was like that. And I interacted with her both nights and she showed me this image. So I, this is why I do like, this is why I'm open to listening to like, I don't write off what anybody says about the spiritual experiences, but I also understand that these spiritual experiences are very tailored to us. And so just because it's true for you doesn't mean it's history, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's true. It happened, but it's not history because it's in your own um, experience. But she showed me this picture of me with my grandmother by the ocean. And she said, when this moment comes, I want you to ask your grandmother this question. And the question was really fucking heavy. She said, she said, ask her, what do you think of life now that you're at the end of yours? Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, I started fucking bawling. Like, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. And sure as shit, that fucking moment came. But the moment I saw was from, like, a third-person view behind me and my grandmother looking out at the ocean on the East Coast. It was back in Rhode Island. And... um what I didn't see in that image is my whole family was fucking behind us. Oh, wow. And so the moment came and I knew it was the moment. And then there's all these people, my mom or siblings, my uncles. And like, I just, I asked the question. And so earlier, like a year late earlier, my grandfather had passed away and she hadn't mourned yet. And so my, her children and stuff were like really worried. They thought like maybe she wasn't grieving. Some, maybe something was wrong with her. And she just, when I asked her that question about what she thought about life, she just gave this beautiful answer that's kind of aligned with what you said about like having to come here for that temporal experience. But it's not, it's 
not like a vacation, you know, there's a lot of growth and struggle and stuff that's going to strengthen your soul that you have to do to go beyond to the next life or to the next rung of evolution or whatever. And it's just really beautiful explanation. She was like, yeah, I know my husband's waiting for me. Like, and she was so at peace with everything mm -hmm. that it like healed my whole family. They all, it was like, they all were like, oh, it's not that she's not grieving. She just has such a wonderful outlook on everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and the fact that that plant medicine did that and prophesied that situation before <laughs> it happened, that kind of like made me realize, wow, I, I don't know everything I think I know about how this world works. It's definitely, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely not what we're, you know, and like you said, you said, you said the subtle, which can you say that again? The subtle controls, uh, the gross. controls, yes. And, or spirit and matter, right? Like. There, the matter cannot animate without the spirit. So right. spirit is first, right? Your spirit first. And, and for those who do ayahuasca, if you're fortunate enough to leave your body, when you leave your body, you're still you. Mm -hmm. It's at no point did I feel like, um, you know, when you have that, that Kundalini or whatever, it's like your head just like opens up like a freaking retractable dome. For me, it was, I remember the weirdest thing is like, I would move my tongue and I couldn't touch the roof of my mat. Like there was nothing. The only thing I could feel was from this bottom jaw. And it just like rose right up out of it. Uh -huh. And what was crazy is like, when I look at my nose, like I could see my nose, I could see my cheekbones, I could see my eyebrows. None of that's there. It's like this amazing perspective, but right. it's still you. Right. And that's like, that was, that, was, that was the first time I experienced like, we are definitely not our bodies. The body yeah. is, might be a reflection. Like it might be like some sort of man, like it might look something like that's, tuned in with our energy or our soul, but it's not us. And you're no. going to leave it. It's like a vessel. Yeah. I had this, I guess it was 2010. And I had just built this Maloka for my shaman friend. What, what's a Maloka? A Maloka is a traditional circular um, temple for oh. ayahuasca. And so this one, I built this, huge spiral roof it was the first reciprocal roof i had ever been in so i was very attached to the space like i it was it was a it was a labor of love i built it for no money <laughs> and we did it on a shoestring budget but we did it and we were having like our first ceremony there and around after i had taken the second cup so i was like really in the force of the medicine i never and, did the second cup Oh, it was my. too much for me. It was too much for me. I could only do one at a time. Yeah. So in the middle was the altar. And I see this little girl, this little blonde haired girl go around the table. And then she comes right to me. And I'm like, now I'm not feeling sick. And I'm like, I'm like, you're my daughter. And she's like, oh, and this is before your daughter was born. Yeah. So check, wow. check this out. Blonde hair blue eyes just looks exactly like my daughter now because I was guessing she was like around three or four years old so I'm like but I knew she was my daughter but my wife was Italian my wife had dark dark hair dark skin dark eyes and I'm like what did my daughter get all my traits like what's going on here but I see her and I'm like oh my god I love you and she's like, I love you too, daddy. And then 
I felt all this guilt and I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Like I kept feeling this feeling inside me. And she goes, I know, silly. I just came by to say hi. <laughs> and then she went wow. around the altar, spiraled out the altar, and then went outside the, out the Maloka. And I was like, left with this like tremendous joy because I felt love. Like I felt the love that I feel for my daughter. But I felt so much shame because I wasn't ready. Because you weren't ready. And so she, how did that play out? Did, did your wife? Well, my ex-wife, that, or she's did you, now my ex-wife. You got a new one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, I, but was it with, did she come out from that woman or is no, it she come out from the following woman? No, no. My, my wife of now almost six years, you know, she's blonde hair, blue eyed. We got together. I told her that story and, and like, we, that's like the daughter, the little girl I see now was the daughter, was the, the little girl there. Wow. And it was like, you know. 10 years before her existence but no like you're the third person i've heard a story like this from in like the last couple of weeks the other two uh were women and they said they had near-death experiences and their children who weren't born yet mm -hmm. in that yeah. outer body experience tell them to go back in because they're going to and then they woke up out of it that's a, that's Absolutely. a third experience i've heard about that's yeah, freaky it's not freaky, but like it, it's just it shows you something's not it doesn't work the way like like it, it's a mystery or not a mystery. But the, when you start having these things for yourself, you realize there's something about this world that is like totally unlike the way we're taught it works. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's... maybe that's not even a bad thing. Maybe people don't know how it works. So they stay away from this stuff because they don't even know how to explain it in a in a precise way. Yeah, so this is kind of why I wanted to have you on because I have a tendency to go more towards the nonlinear way of looking at things. Like I don't think time is 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 single pointed as No, time is conceptual. It's not right. real. It doesn't exist. Right. And that's that's how you know gravity doesn't exist because it's based on the bending of a concept. <laughs> right. Space so, time. So with that, I kind of want to get your i want to get your cosmology and how you actually see our history like in and we can like just take the broad strokes first and then work towards more of a yeah, more of yeah. a de detailed aspect of it because i'm i'm really thinking that this this plane of existence that we're on isn't the shape of what we were told I know that the calendrics system. Remember, is, hey, do you remember how I asked you if you use like, uh, like a uh, a sextant or anything like that? Because uh, I wanted, this. you know, to acquire an elevation angle to an object of interest, right? Like if you could, like when you use a sextant, trigonometry requires at least one right angle. In this exactly. case, it's the horizon. Mm -hmm. So what they are doing is they the elevation angle is from the, the observer, the observer's line of sight to the object of interest. And then this line makes a right angle to mm -hmm. the object of interest. Because if you don't have this right angle, you because all triangles add up to 180 degrees on their interior angle, you need those two to figure out the third angle. So if this one is like 30 degrees, that's 90 degrees. You multiply, uh, subtract that from 180, you're left with 60 degrees. Mm -hmm. So that's how you know what that is. 
This cannot be done. Triangulation requires three circles like of equal altitude. So what you're doing is once you get one elevation angle, right, to an object of interest, you're doing it two more times. So the first time, you know, you're in like a, somewhere within this, within like, you know, 3,600 uh, nautical miles or whatever. Then the second one you do, you get two, then you know that you're either at this one or this point where they intersect. And then the third one is gonna be where all three of them intersect. And these are thousands and thousands of nautical miles that our ancestors have been using to celestial navigate for thousands of years cannot be done if that is a curved surface because you can't acquire the elevation angle to the object of interest. And even when you're talking about latitude, when you're at six degrees latitude, every degree of latitude that is measured by acquiring an elevation angle to Polaris. Mm -hmm. And the further south you go, the closer Polaris gets to the horizon. And finally, where it's at the horizon, that's where the equator is, the, the theoretical equator. It's not real. There's no equator in nature. But that's how it's measured, on flat, motionless planes. Mm -hmm. So for people who are on the fence, I'm not trying to like insult you, but as far as we are concerned, the Earth is, the nature of Earth is objectively and measurably flat. Right. And that was one of the biggest things that changed my worldview and learning how to defend this position against the liars is what took my own work to the next level because it helped me as a researcher have way higher standards for myself and not get too excited about stuff that, you know, may or may not be true. It really was like, no, I need to be like a pit bull and just grab what is real and go from there and don't get like too excited, get too excited emotionally. Right. Because I used, you know, I used to get excited about stuff a lot. You know, I'm a talent. Well, as, as young men do. No, the whole thing is like the the seven classical liberal arts, the trivium and the quadrivium, they're a progression. And then once you get through that progression, one like you need proper grammar to have proper logic. Once you are in the logic sphere for a while, you'll have decent rhetoric, and then you get into logos, logia, yeah, astrology. Exactly. So logic is required for the output because if you don't, because the input is going to be whatever, right? But you need to make sense of that with your logic and then mm -hmm. put it out. Yeah. So I could only see because a lot of language is just geometry. <laughs> it's number and space and time. It's, a, it's like a music, isn't it? Well, I don't know about that because it's hard. Like I get what you're saying without a doubt. Every so, for instance, like the name of God that they don't utter, it's the first two letters of tetragrammaton, so it would look like yod hey, right? So this in English would look like this Hebrew goes this way, so it would look like I E or I H or Y H because the hey is like an H or an E, and the yod is like an I a Y or a J. So when they pronounce this, when they translate it to English, they'll say like Yah or J-A-H, Yah. This is an epithet for Apollo because Iota Eta in Greek is I-E, it's the root of Jesus. Now in what you're talking about with the numerology, this represents five and the Yod represents 10. So together they are 15. Well, the Jews are so friggin' superstitious that when they wanted to refer to this, instead of using five and 10, because they wouldn't say this word, they would say six and nine. 
but the significance of the numbers, and I'm not, I don't not, I don't want to say this is geometry because geometry is related to the measuring of land, but the numerology in it is there for when things break down. So like if you were to look at the um the the old monogram of Jesus, it ends up being 608 when you do it, right? But if you also look at Frey, um that would look like FPH. R-E, right? Frey, it's Egyptian sun. It's the same root of Freya in the Norse. That also equals 608. So when you're dealing with these numbers, if, if, you were, if we were in a different country and we didn't speak each other's language, we would still know the, the value of the deity of 608. And that used to mean the cycle of the Neros. So you and I, even though we are not familiar with each other's language, being initiated into the same order could communicate through numbers. And that's how the early language was done, was through uh, numbers, because you can see this, especially in China. Everybody all across Asia understands the written script of China from a numerical value, but they don't understand each other when they speak. But it's because that language is so exact with its numbers early on for trade. And even um, uh, this gentleman named Valency, he's, he's he's like a... He's from England, somewhere in England. I don't know if it's Wales or something, but he lived in Ireland and he was studying like all the Phoenician stuff. And his claim is that the earliest Phoenician letters were numerical, numerically based. Like, mm. like, uh, like, like he, he wrote like A, B, C, D, four, and then 10 was like this. It wasn't an X, it was a, it was a horizontal line. So you can see how like all these languages correspond to numbers now is it geometry i'm not there yet but i'm also not an architect Mm -hmm. you know all about the domes you know about real geometry i don't know my ass from my elbow about that stuff Mm -hmm. so you having this knowledge could then say yeah this is exactly in the masonry the architecture and it wouldn't surprise me because the masons were priests because all of their temples were built on this system that's based off of astrology to correspond mm-hmm. to the, the templum in the sky. Mm-hmm. So that is something for you to teach me, because I don't know that because it's, it's out of my wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean, my, my foray into domes really took off. Like when I started, I had done all these meditation exercises with mandalas. And then I saw this Japanese mathematician, you know, essentially take a mandala, a five, uh, well, it's a dodecagon, so a 10-sided mandala, and pop it into three dimensions. And when he did that, he made a perfect infinite infinite variable dome. Infinite. Wait, isn't dodeca, isn't dodeca 12, though? Or my, Excuse my me, what's, what's 10? Deca? Excuse me. Yeah, dechum. Yeah, yeah. He took a decagon, and w- which was actually just two pentagons that were offset by thirty-two okay. de- by thirty-six degrees. And when I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god!" It was like the Jodie Foster moment in Contact, where they're like, "Oh, these these aliens—they don't talk in two dimensions; they talk in three dimensions." Once we figured that out, the cipher was easy, and then they everything came together. So my mind ever since doing that is it, it tries to make two-dimensional things three-dimensional. <laughs> That's what I'm always doing. I was like, hi, hey, I'm looking at this and this, 
And then I'm like, so did wait, so did Hollywood like accidentally upgrade you? What's going on? Oh, dude, that contact, idea? contact was awesome. This is why I love film. Everybody hates on Hollywood, but if it's not perverted, it can inspire greatness. No, that movie had the biggest truth drop at all because the whole movie centers around this this space exploration. We're going to go to Vega. Like it's a material thing. And she <laughs> drops through these, these wheels within wheels within wheels, the angles, the angels. She drops through these wheels into the common person, the person that's not in her experience, not within her sphere of influence. It looks like she failed. It looks like nothing happened. It, it took no time. She just went straight through. But in reality, she changed dimensions and she was in a different dimension. She was on Vega. Wow. And that is the truth. That is actually the, the, that whole thing that they did. They just did a gussied up Nazi bell. And that's what the Nazis figured out in the late 30s. They were like, no, you don't travel by rockets. That's fucking stupid. You travel by frequency. I've always heard that. It's just so far out of my wheelhouse. But, you know, like, I've always, I have, like, memories and stuff. And I, like, all of my, a lot of my memories come from a time before technology with, like, horses and stuff. Like, stuff that I viscerally, like, like, history like it's with me it's in me but it's more like fantasy based mm -hmm. and i always wonder is like is that just like maybe like a subconscious immaturity thing like of me wanting a better like a different world or is there something there because um i would get these i don't really remember my dreams but every once in a while i have a dream that literally unfolds like a friggin' movie with like a plot and everything and then i remember it and i write it down and that's like what a lot of my fantasy i incorporated in my fantasy work and like that's so I've always wondered about this something. That's why I wouldn't even dismiss what you're saying, because what if going back to like, you know, when we check out, what if we're just like going to different worlds? Like, what if we are part of the creator aspect of it and we are having to, um, I don't want to say like tech support, but like maybe to a degree, some of us pop in with serious intentions about what their mission is, but mm -hmm. because of the process, you forget everything, right? And you can't have access to everything because you're now in a you have the lim limitation of the physical world. I've just has always thought about that, and uh, so no, it, it, makes, it would make sense if that if that's how you travel, like if that if that were how you would travel to Vega or anything else, it would be like that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was like a huge like you know flat Earth drop <laughs> in a way. To Two, the whole thing is, is like you've been standing at a sunset or you've been encountering something really wonderful and been in a really good space, yet there would be somebody right next to you that's supposedly experiencing the same terrain that you are that is in hell. For whatever reason, their internal frequency is such that there's so much noise to signal that they're in hell. And so our frequency, like our, our, I will say aggregate frequency, like the, 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 the total of all that, that's, you know, making up our, you know, three, three bodies that has a lot to do with where we are. And if you set the terrain at a certain frequency, you can go to that. You can go there. You can go to a different place.
like I love Calendrix and I love maps just because in remote viewing, it's all a coordinate system. You get to a place not from knowing where it is. In fact, the less you know, the better. You get to a place just by somebody giving you a coordinate. They give you a coordinate. Are you, are you a remote viewer? I have done it. The people that I know that like have that kind of like that site, they always they say like a lot of them say they got it like or not that they say they got it from that but they had a near death experience I, and I've had too and yeah yeah and that's yeah the guy you to be better at it yeah the guy that kind of started the whole system for it for the military um, Bert Stubblebine General Bert Stubblebine he said when they were first scouting for people that could remote view they out of all the men all the gis that that they had go through their system the only two traits that the people that could remote view shared was one they saw lights in the sky that nobody else saw and two they've died wow yeah yes so that that would that would explain something that's and it's so wild and you know what's crazy is like we just go like most people, myself included, have just gone about our life just trying to like make something of ourselves and not really had the luxury that like some of these people, for better or for worse, like when you look at all these institutions, they have literally experimented on people as far back as you can see. They have such an advantage or they're experts at the psyche and how all this shit works. They have such an advantage because they know how you'll behave in every situation, whether stress free or incredible amounts of stress you know it and it's just like man that's all the stuff that's like out of my wheelhouse you know like there's so much i don't know i'm very like um i'm like the horse with the blinders like i'm really good at what i do but <laughs> so, i kind of regret that so i kind of regret not because like, go ahead in your own words describe to my audience what is it that you do like if you give me give me your your job description so my the whole purpose of my um, work is to help you understand the mechanisms of the priest class, which has been the primary rulers, like the controllers of every civilization. And everything we are um, ensconced in right now, like are all of um like when this country was put into bankruptcy and, and everything was changed the, with the 1933 Emergency Banking Relief Act, they basically converted the public debt into a public trust and the people were all liable for it at being citizens of the United States. And so there's all these things that, ha that are not the code of honor of our country that have been implemented to deprive us of freedom, of the fruits of our labor, of just like basic common sense stuff and it's all through occult contracts. And so my entry into this was through the monetary system, trying to figure out why 2008 happened and why nobody uh, that was real powerful that I was around and had all this knowledge warned of it or saw it coming. Mm -hmm. And when you start looking at the monetary system, that's why I got out of financial services, because I can't in good conscience help protect your wealth if I'm not confident this system is even going to be in place by the time you retire. Right. And if you put all your money with me, and even though I'm taking care of it, like in, in the numbers on your screen, but when shit hits the fan and you need that, it's just gone. 
Silicon Valley Bank, gone. Cryptocurrency mm -hmm. value, gone. It's like a way to, 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 to siphon, to transfer wealth because the people that you're, you're storing that with, they're making profit off of it. And so they don't give a shit what happens to you because they're making the same amount either way. And so because of that, I was like, well, this monetary system as it is, it's not actually a solution that I want anybody I love or care about um, putting their wealth in. This is like, you don't get another time. You cannot recover this. You get to a certain age where if you lose that, you cannot recover it, no matter how hard you work. And so that combined with like the property taxes and how our elderly, um, they're just constant. They have to pay property taxes. So we, if the property gets too high, the taxes get too high, and they can't afford to live in the house that they bought, and you know they've lived their whole lives in, and then they get forced into a nursing home or assisted living, and they give them a bunch of drugs and they kill them. And so there's all this stuff that in our in our um, system that is really horrific. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, you find out it's ecclesiastical, and this goes all the way back to the church. And for those who don't know, they call themselves ecclesiastics because ecclesia, it means to be called out, right? And so they look at themselves as being called out by God to be like the custodians of everything. And what these priests have done as far back as we can go is they're the ones that deprive everybody of everything. And the government and the kings and the rulers, they're all like we were talking earlier with like the agents and stuff like the buffer. They're the ruling class and the governments are like the buffer. So people get mad at them and never suspect the, what the priests are doing. Because if you were to tax people, they're not going to put up with taxes. But if you can create a religion that they all willingly go to, then people donate their money. They pay the tithes willingly because mm -hmm. it makes them feel good. I'm going to get salvation. I'm, I'm helping my church. I'm helping my community. Right. And I think at certain points in time, the priests are responsible for the poor and they are taking care of the sick and there is good things about them. But over time, once the monks took over the system, you really see this with the Jesuits in like the 600s or whatever. It, it becomes everything that like people hated about the Egyptian monks now is in Europe. And we have lived in the last 2000 years of literal dark ages because of the religious institutions. And the problem with this is all of their authority is presumed, just like the just like the shape of the earth. They never actually measured curvature. They presumed that it was a globe and then calculated based on that. That's why I always ask people, do you measure things or do you calculate? Because if you calculate, you're not doing anything real in the real world. There's no exchange. Mm -hmm. And so these monks are, they have literally deprived us of a good quality of life and they are the result of war and when you look at like why these institutions are so powerful is at any point a king who's in favor with the the priests can levy like he can just say he knows how much money he can get out of every church he knows how many soldiers he can get out of every church and they can summon summon an army of like 400,000 people and you know tons of gold to support their efforts like that whereas if the church didn't exist you would have to have some sort of tax that the people wouldn't fucking put up with. So what I do is I bring people up to speed with language mastery, with astrotheology, so you can see how all mythoses, all, myth all mythology, everything 
all religion, the reason it's true at the core is because it's based on nature. Mm-hmm. But if you're not willing to look at that, then you're never going to figure out what these things mean. You're never going to know who Luke, Mark, John, and Matthew are, right? And what they have done is they have the thing that my work does better than anyone else, in my opinion, because if somebody else did it better, I wouldn't have written Spirit World. I, I had to do this because I didn't see anybody else doing this. These histories were given that we accept as truth or as having happened were actually just based on the motions of heaven. And so they took those stories, those allegories, and then they based history on them. And so everywhere they go, they rewrite the same styles of histories mm-hmm. and encode the same styles of names. And this is why, like, learning philology and how language works, it's going to help you see through it. And so for me, I know this is kind of long-winded, but I'm really trying to be in-depth. Like, the whole point of my work is to bring you up to speed about the ancient universal system of priestcraft that would not be possible without the priests, without the masons and without the navigators. And why does this matter? Because the art of navigation is exclusively European. So you can see who is bringing what where. And when you see certain types of architecture, right? It's like if you saw Victorian architecture somewhere in America, you would know that either Britain had something to do with that or somebody got trained in Britain on how to do Victorian architecture and brought it back. Either way, it's there. And so now we have we have a historical clue of what has happened and who has interacted with which part of the world. And when you actually look at history and what's possible based on actual artifacts, based on language, based on religious rights, you will see a totally different history than the status quo has given us. And the reason they have lied is because they need to lie in order to preserve mosaic history in the religious institutions so that you can never object to their presumed power of being descended from Isaac or Moses or fucking Japet or Shem, whatever, right? It's always, uh, if you look at like the kings of England and stuff, they all pretend to be descendants of Japheth. With, when you actually know what the mythos is and the astrology, you know what you're looking at. And those are not historical characters, meaning their authority is totally invalid. Mm-hmm. They're just like you and me. They are not special boys that deserve any extra rights than you. They don't have a divine right to will or to rule. We are all, I'm not, we're not equal, but in terms of the eyes of our creator, we are all a product of the creation. And are there machinations? Are there machinations at the moment as far as you could see it just to keep power or do they have a greater plan? Well, I don't know right now because I think what we're seeing is a failure of, the past couple centuries of this planning for the the uh, the one world uh, the one world system, if you will, right? I think with the Wuhan wiggle, so just so it doesn't get censored wherever this goes out, they couldn't even create a real uh, bug. It's all fake. wait a minute. There was no gain of function from the lab release. No science, no science, <laughs> no, no isolation. You know all this stuff. But when you see that, well, that's a move of somebody who's desperate. That's somebody who has urgency behind them. Why would you be? That's like that's like bluffing at a gunfight. It's like going to a literal gunfight with no ammo, but it's like we have to make this person think we're armed to the teeth and get them to submit somehow because we don't have time on our side anymore. 
I think this took too long. I don't think everything's going according to plan. And I think what you're seeing right now is almost uh, like a self-preservation mechanism. So it's like, we've got to try to get them into a new system that's digital so we can implement the most control. And if we don't get them into this digital system by the time the actual system collapses that they're currently in, it's everyone, it's anyone's game. And there will be people that can take, you know, it won't be as secure of a future for them because they're losing control of it. That's what I think is happening. I could be wrong, but I don't see why you would uh, have no ammo. Like, why would you not be able to cre create a real bug? Right. Right. Like actually scare people into getting what you want them to get. It's all fake. So why? I think a lot of it. So I've come to a deep, deep, deep knowingness that this is a free will realm. And a lot of the numbers and all these wars and things that we've been told are so overinflated. Like I can see that. we're we're given numbers that like if somebody has never really experienced violence, that's the thing. People are good and they project their good. But like you need to talk to somebody that's really experienced violence like real violence. There is no way that the Hollywood view of this, the what we've been, you know, programmed to believe that the Vikings killed and slaughtered everybody, the, the Hans, you know, killed and slaughtered everybody, everybody killed and slaughtered everybody. Bull BS. That's all nonsense. What it takes from a numbers perspective, like if you have a little statistical knowledge, if you take out like 10% of a population, that population fails within two generations. It fails. It goes away. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think oh, Crow has been talking about this. Like, how would you know that there's 8 billion people? It's I a lie. Like, Dude, yeah, there's I, no way I, to even know. I've told this, I've told this story because it's so freaking funny. Cause if anybody knows the the Hispanic uh, culture, you have to laugh. I'm in Costa Rica during the 2010 census. I'm in this little town. I did all my research to moving in Costa Rica, only 3.4 million people. You know, everything's good. Everything's gravy. The, the birth rate has been dropping the last two generations. People aren't having the huge families anymore there. Great. The population will stay stable. The gringos have a high attrition rate. So even though there's a ton moving there, tons are leaving, doesn't matter stable population i'm watching the census these lazy census bureau people walk around this little barrio i'm in not during the middle of the day everybody's at work knocking on the door nobody answers you just see them write a number on their little pad and go to the next door and, and then they're just collecting a paycheck 2011 census comes out seven million people in costa rica and we all know the bs that you know they get money for for you know butts in the seat. So if you double your population, that's what inspired the birth certificate. Exactly, the paid people to re register. They paid the states to register people. Precisely. So the, the IMF goes, oh, you have seven million people now. Okay, you get more funding. You get more debt. It was a total scam. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It, it, you know it is. And you know what's interesting is like, what's funny about this. <laughs> Is like there's layers to it. Like you don't realize how bad it is until you've chased enough things down. And so 
going back to like history, everything, they, people have presented themselves as experts in knowing things and you've trusted them. Mm-hmm. But when you actually look at them, they're claiming science. They never did science. There's no natural, there's not even the first step of scientific method implemented with any of this uh, uh, biology and none of that stuff. Cause you need to observe a natural phenomena mm-hmm. and then you need to be able to control that and vary the, uh, the variables. So it's like, they never use science. Historians are not, um, they don't know how to date stuff. Carbon dating is like so unreliable. DNA, that's one thing that I don't know enough about. I would be like kind of like a little Dunning-Kruger to speak about it too much. But the fact is this, you don't know how old the bodies you're even examining are. So just because you're measuring DNA from people alive today, well, things have changed so much over thousands of years. It's not the original people necessarily. You might get some original people, but it's like there's a lot of stuff that we just take for granted. And what with the thing that's really been grinding my gears now is like, how many of the discoveries are all coming out in the last 300 years, right? Like just like with like the dinosaurs and all that stuff, like no other civilization, no other people ever found any of this shit. But now everybody just magically finding the things that unlocks the keys to our history in the 20th century, you know, 18th century, whatever it is, you know, and that to me reeks of forgery. And the reason I say that is because when you look at the forgery that the religious institutions have created, why I focus on language is because language is like one of the only things, even if someone's lying to you, you can still examine the language they're using and seeing if that language is authentic to the time, et cetera. And that in itself is a clue. And so for the people who don't know, like, what's the end of knowing language? It's not sexy at all, but it's the, a language. If you know what somebody spoke or what words wouldn't have existed or what words, what concepts wouldn't have existed when they were allegedly wrote, written, like, for example, maybe Paul's epistle to the Romans. And there's words in that that were not the Romans wouldn't have known in the first century. Mm. So people were interested in that. That's my boy. This can be really controversial, but you can see that, oh, that's a forgery because that was not a word whose concept even existed at the time that's alleged to be written. Great. And so when that's exactly it. But the downside is people tend to just see whatever they want with language. And that too can present its own problem, which is why you can't just go based on etymology. You can't, or excuse me, you can't just go based on phonetics. You can't just go like there's a bunch of different things. You can't just go based on um, philology, like sometimes cultures do use stuff that is similar. It's a combination of things that once you have enough dots, you have a picture, and then you can kind of use that to chronologically uh, date it or determine if it's even an authentic document. Like one of the ways you can catch people committing forgeries is they'll use versions of a later alphabet to be the new one that their course that they found. Oh, we found the real ancient alphabet it's over here in serbia and it corresponds to attrition but it uses all the letters that the attrition used in the later part not in the earlier part right but they're claiming that attrition came from it so there's all kinds of little tricks you know but it is it is something that people overlook that i try to um bring someone like you up to speed so like when you're researching something if you know these techniques then your own work as a historian or just whatever is going to be that much better because you're going to have an accurate way of looking at things. Whereas people a couple hundred years ago, they were great researchers, had the highest standards, 
but they still believe the status quo historical narrative fed to them by the religious institutions. They literally couldn't conceive that, um, you know, Abraham wasn't a real person. Mm -hmm. You know, like they, they can't conceive that these, Noah wasn't a real person. So their entire worldview is based on that presupposition. And that's exactly what you see with the globe stuff, presupposing a radius value that you don't have. And why is it important to debunk that radius? Because you need it to calculate everything. Mm -hmm. Any evidence of gravity? No, you're going to need an earth radius for that. Any evidence of axial rotation? No, you're going to need an earth radius for that. Mm -hmm. Everything is built on assuming that radius that our technology totally debunks. And you can go debunk it with um, your bare, uh, your naked eyes. Basically, if the Earth is a sphere with 3,959 mile radiuses value, then each distance, every horizon must be no further than, here's the formula, 1.225 times the square root of the observer's height of feet. So if you're looking at something, I, I like the black swan, for example, uh, Bo, who's down in Santa Barbara, he looks at the oil rigs. Have you ever seen this? Mm -mm. I'm going to send this to you. It'll blow your mind. He's got, he's got everything on the pier at Santa Barbara, eight feet off uh, above sea level. Yet he can see, so at that eight foot elevation, he should be able to see no further than uh, approximately like 3.5 miles. Mm -hmm. Yet he's seeing the horizon behind the oil rigs, which are 10.10 miles away. Mm -hmm. That's all you need. It debunks the earth radius. And then some people will say, oh, well, that's refraction. You're looking at a refracted horizon. Oh, refraction? Then not real. You're not seeing a geometric tangent point that you claim to measure to with your tangent line. Mm -hmm. But if you look at how they allegedly calculated this, Al Biruni was on top of a mountain drawing a tangent point to the quote unquote horizon. But the horizon's not physical. It's apparent by definition, mm -hmm. not a place that you can draw a tangent line to or tangent point on. And so this is the, this is how you debunk it. You debunk the radius and then you start looking at the sextant and how celestial navigation, it literally proves a flat earth. So I want everybody, if you, if you're not unfamiliar with this stuff, start looking into how sextants work. But, um, I know this is all, I know this seems crazy because it's so different than the subject we started on. But this is the technique. They are doing this with history. They are doing this with science. We just had three years of trust to science and they didn't even use one step in the scientific method. Nothing. That should be outraging people. Mm -hmm. But the average person can't tell you what science is. And so it's, it's tough, you know, because we're taught this stuff when we're little kids and we don't need to use it. We have no reason to want to know about trigonometry, I'm, I'm like the worst at this, like this shit, I all learned about it. And now I have to like re-educate myself. It's mm -hmm. like, you know what? I wish I just went into some sort of trade early on as a child, learn some sort of skills and then learn about all this complex stuff, science, the trivium and quadrivium. Learn at that when I'm an adult and like I'm an emotionally like more, have more wisdom versus a young kid who just wants to be out skateboarding and could not care less about science or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But now I do care about it because they're lying to us. And going back to where I started, it's like, I can remember, um, Pilfer, when I, when I, I can remember being in Hollywood, not believing them. I always thought the moon landings were, were fake. But what I thought was, oh no, because that's the disinfo because they've got bases up there and they don't that's want you to I, know that, about that's what's where going I was on there. Yeah, I, I, I had read uh, Richard Hoagland's uh, Dark Moon. 
and his whole thing that. that he was showing all these uh these pictures and he was like look this is them blacking out the big space station over there and this is them doing this and that and then i was like oh my god he was a nasa insider blah blah blah, blah. and then uh, so i i you know because to me i was programmed that space was hope and so everything here was hopeless because the adults were were running amok and then i was like oh man i bought all that stuff hook line and sinker so when the flat earth came around that like that busted me up something good like i was depressed for a couple weeks but when i got to the other what side was it of- what about that was depressed knowing that you were stuck here I knowing that had, you weren't going to go no, party on Mars? No, it was spiritual. It was literally hope. Oh, really? Because to me, I grew up like when I watched like Star Trek, I really liked Star Trek. And it was because it was so positive. Like there was always yeah. like this like cool thing going on. There was no money. Like people were just like making themselves better. Everything was about making yourself better. Like it wasn't about commerce. It was just about being better and learning although it was called the enterprise i know but to to a kid's mind to my mind and you know kirk you know kirk means church kirk no i didn't know that german and like the dead so captain kirk is literally the church and enterprise is their business yeah yeah no it makes I'm sense saying that that's the origin i'm just saying it's just uh, that just happens to it could be a coincidence I'm not no no it. it's probably not the like all that stuff to me as a child was it was just like i had such a good imagination and i could draw like, I was just like, whoa, there's so much oh, really? to like explore in my mind out there. And so, yeah. And I always, I, I was a free energy nerd guy. Like I was like one of these guys that got into all this over unity stuff. And so I was like, they're hiding all the technology out there, you know? And so, um, so it was sort of like a big bubble burst for me. It, it like, literally I came. I had the exact opposite. Remember how you just talking about uh, a couple of like, Maybe like a half hour ago with how like one person's in hell and the other person's like right. in heaven and like the same it had the exact opposite effect on me because i was like it literally proves we're in a creation i knew it motherfuckers you well know what i mean? had like that, it's like i had that side too like i had that I was like, like yeah i was like it was so happy for me but i had no doubt of that to begin with like even though i was in oh school, yeah i see what you're saying so you thought like maybe like the, the whole universe was the the creation and exactly so you were just in a small part of it gotcha yeah 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 because i saw like i was i was really um exposed to a ton of violence and degradation as a child so to be aware of all the the like misgivings of humanity at such a young age for me like space was like oh that makes more sense that makes a lot more sense to me and yeah it was definitely a way to avert my attention but as soon as i as soon as i got the flat earth thing i was like you know after i got over letting go of all my all these little you know boyhood fantasies about it i was like oh this is awesome then i got into like you know science mode of like what is this that we're on like what is this topher no radius you're not calculating a distance to any planetary object or no. luminary nope you don't know the distance to the sun now no distance to the moon nope. nothing nope and another question that i like is um 
is there any scientific evidence of gas pressure existing without the an necessary antecedent of containment? And I got this from Nathan Oakley, 1980. If you're not subscribed to him, I will send you everything after this. Uh, gas, we, the air we breathe at sea level has 14.7 pounds per square inch. Gas needs a containment in order to bounce off of to create gas pressure. Mm -hmm. So somewhere, I'm not saying this proves any dome. I think atmosphere and dome is begging the question too. But when people ask like, well, is, is it, are we just on an infinite plane? It can't be because of gas pressure. Right. If, if we didn't have, if we have gas pressure, that means it's not filling the available volume, which is the natural behavior of gas. And if we were in, in space is a vacuum as described, so either if space is real, it's not as described or there is no vacuum in space because without a barrier, the gas would just go all, just keep going and we'd all be dead. So that right there is a violation of the second law of thermodynamics, mm -hmm. which is basically entropy or change. And so we are literally in a, some sort of controlled system. It's yeah. finite and we're special. And it's not, we're not some insignificant thing on an insignificant speck of dust through an infinite universe. Like what the hell? How would you even calculate, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a violation or it's a, it's, it's like violence to the imagination to assume. And you're just an, an infinite expanding world. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And you look at like, what is everything in the sky now? We don't know. Mm -hmm. Where's the barrier? Is there a barrier? Is it just a density thing? Like an energy thing? Like, you know, like how uh, we can only go so far or so high because of the, the, because of the densities we're confined to. I don't know. Maybe our souls and spiritual force, that's what can get through those layers. But we in this physical world can't. I don't know. But I sure as, do, I sure as hell know what, what this world is not. And I know the nature of it in terms of it being measurably and objectively flat. And now the world to me is like, nobody can tell you how this world works. Every single person can now have this like enlightening experience and develop a stronger connection with their creator. But to me, all of this stuff is empowering. Once you get through, how could they lie to me? Once you get through the, the muck at the bottom, I promise everybody who sees this, it's way better on the other side and enriching. And like, you almost feel like a demigod. Not to get, you know, too, not to get too arrogant, but when you realize, oh, I'm a God created me, something created me. Right. Your parents didn't decide, you didn't decide how your daughter was going to look. God, whatever that program yep. is, whatever that creative force decided. So now you are a creation of God. You know, you can't die. You can just leave. Yeah. I, I wrote a treatise on surprises. <laughs> like, 15, I hear it. Let's go. Uh, like 15 years ago. And it was really because if I'm really, really taking a, a complete audit of my life, everything that I've ever strategized for, I've gotten. Really? But I have not had the joy from that which I strategized for and from the surprises, the left turns, the the things I never saw coming. Like I just didn't, I had no idea. The mistakes, all those things that were unplanned have actually been the black swan events of my life. The things, the outlier events that have really 
made my life so wonderful. And so that's a very humiliating thing because I know if I give, give it over to God, like, you know, as a very powerful creator, still in that sense, I rather be thy will than my will. Like I really laying that down and just not really the, the, I don't know if it's where Mars is in my chart or whatever, but like, I don't, when I accomplish something, it doesn't really mean much, <laughs> but if I'm given something that I didn't see coming, it holds more weight for me. That's my own personal accounting. And the, the, the nature of earth. Now, you know, that those planetary bodies are way more important. Yes. They are not just out there. It, it all ties into astrology and astronomy, like all those influences. And like that's astro, why I call the zodiac weather. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I've, I've trained myself to call them luminaries because they are luminaries. They are the signs and wonders that are, have been given to us. And to me, I just see that as the outermost aspect of my subtle body. I don't even look at it as like external influences on, on me. I just look at it as, as an aspect of me. Let me ask you something because you're kind of like, you're like a touch older than me. You're like the big brother age for me. So like I get to pick your wisdom because you're just a little bit above me in terms of age. And I wanted to ask you like, cause I, I also like uh, the, my, the thy will versus my will, but do you ever worry about maybe that that is like a cop out? Like, oh, I'm, I'm literally, yes, I'm convinced myself and I really believe that I'm giving, uh, my will over to God, whatever God wants, and I'll just do the best that I can with what the situations that God puts me in. But do you ever feel like maybe like, well, what if God is not on the other end of that in that way, where it's like God gave you the tools and it's like, no, you need to go out and do what I designed you for and not wait for me. Do you ever wrestle with that? And if you do, if you don't, it's okay. But if you do, do you have any like solutions of how you think about that? I did. I think about that all the time. I did before my Saturn return, my first Saturn return, like, so for people that don't know, Saturn is Kronos, like from a, just from a very general perspective is so, sort, sort of the arbiter of order and institutions and time. And um, before my first Saturn return, I was having a real hard time with knowing my place in, in this world. And after, after I got out of that funk, <laughs> essentially deprogramming all the stuff that I was taught as a child, um, I actually found real joy in using exactly the tools that was imparted to Christopher Gardner like the Christopher Baumgartner, you know, I, I always had the capacity to, to touch, like use my hands. Then I found a building style where I could, I could mold buildings with my hands. And I loved, I loved working in the yard and gardening. And so like, there was all these like little things like this. And so I was just like, oh, my name is my function like my body, my build, I'm built like a troll. So like, I'm like, oh, I'm here to lift heavy things and like 
you know, manipulate people's bones and muscles and manipulate clay and earth and all this stuff. And then I, I noticed that people really liked listening to me. Like I noticed that like when I would start to talk, an extra line of energy would come in. And I was like, this extra line of energy isn't here when I'm by myself. It's only if there's another person. Oh, interesting. And so I was exposed to human design in that in human design, I'm an egoic authority, which means my authority comes in with other. And so I was like, oh, well, that's great because I love to talk. I love to storytell. I love just being with people and getting to know people and hearing their story, hence the podcast. And so I kind of feel like I am doing what I'm going to do. Where I kind of question things is now as a provider, like now as somebody that has people are responsible for you, has responsibilities, but I'm not even, I'm not even caught under that illusion. Cause I know that there's only one provider. Like I really yeah. do know that. Like I'm not under any, any awesome. Cause I've seen men that like work and oh, they do everything and they, they got the millions of whatever saved up and they set it all up and it's all for naught. From that perspective, it's, it's, I've seen it just disappear. I've seen things just, and so you never know. And so for me, the one thing that I have tremendous faith in, it could be from my death experiences is like, I know God loves me and I know that I'm provided for. And I know I'm not the provider. The ego wants to believe that it's the provider. Like it's the one. And the thing is, is when I have come from that place, I don't perform well. Like I don't ever, I don't ever get up to the standard of what I want to be. But when I'm just have enough trust in God, like when I really am coming from that space and I get into a flow state, abundance just flows in my direction. So, and I've trusted that I've had enough experiences of being like, I'm pretending to be a material body and I'm pretending to do all this. I'm pretending that I need to have all this, 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 uh, accoutrement for life, but I'm just pretending it's not the truth. <laughs> like life, life is happening and God's providing. So I'm just going to kind of have fun with it and, and ride it. And, and I'll do the best that I can, like all you can ever, well, I won't say this. I'll say this for myself. All, all that I can do, I'll do the best that I can. What I have to learn to, to do as a big brother advice is I have to learn not to be so hard on myself. So if I do have like a physical setback or something like that, I have a tendency of being like, oh, you're lazy, you're this, you're that. And I not allow myself to rest. <laughs> I feel <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 like the my wife yells at me. your own work your own like slave master yeah because my wife is like <laughs> I'm like uh, uh babe I'm sorry I, I couldn't do anything in the yard today she's like nigga please you gotta sit on your ass and do nothing like she's literally yeah. like you don't take days off chillax yeah she's like you don't know how to not do anything and she's kind of right like I'm always like well it's kind of like if you do what you love though, if, or if what your purpose is, it feels like you're not working, you know? So as long as you got that, it, it is easy to go every day. Like I never take days off unless I'm on like some adventure. Yeah. I just always do my work, but I always wonder 
and you know what you know what i hate it's like i probably wouldn't be having these second guesses with myself if i was being rewarded in a way that like enabled me to take on more responsibility but because it's like not it's i'm not having the material success that i would have like would have hoped to have had based on how hard and how much i sacrificed this i always wonder if like you know, like, yes god's providing i'm in the best place in the world i love where i live like i i i'm so happy so grateful but i always wonder it's like maybe i should be doing something else maybe like maybe I'm deluding myself into thinking that I'm provided for. And yeah, there is that, but maybe God's up there like, damn, son, you need to do this. Get, get, get off. Stop reading books. Stop doing, go do something else with your life. You know what I mean? And I always like, I've always kind of been like water. Like I'm so idealistic that like, if something gets put in my life, I'll just be like, oh yeah, God, that's what God wanted to come into my life. That's what I need to like cater to mm -hmm. realize maybe that's not true. <laughs> that sometimes shit just comes into your life and has nothing to do you know what i mean it's not your fault for if it's bad and it's not like god's punishing you and it's not like god's rewarding you if it's good shit just happens and so sometimes i'm always just like that's why i asked you because i struggle this is like one of the idealism is like the thing that i struggle more most with and i don't if if and the only reason i ask is because if i look back on my life and i knew that my creator wanted me to do something else and I didn't do it, I would be pissed off. Like I would be disappointed that I didn't pick up on like the, the social cues. Sooner. <laughs> it's well, like hitting I, on a girl or something, you know, at some point you need to pick up on the social cues. You've already said that you picked up on God's social cue with giving up on being a financial advisor to actually do what spirit impelled. Spirit impelled you to, man, learn the philology, learn all these different aspects of, of this art, this art of language, because it's needed because we are being ramrodded with lies. And so you chose the path less taken. Sure. Who else is, who else has done your work? Not like who, somebody who wants to have a life. <laughs> like, like me, like I moved to the jungle of Costa Rica to build earthen domes. Like who does yeah, that? Yeah, you got balls of steel, dude. Like yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not the sign of somebody that's money oriented. Did you go to India too? Yeah. Did you go to India on like a whim or something weird? Like no, went, no, maybe I not went, on a whim, but like you went by yourself, right? No, I went with an ashram. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I went to India and I was, I was, I was affiliated with an ashram and we went two years and I couldn't say I liked it. I couldn't say it was like, oh, I want to ballsy go. though. Still going to another place that you know is like a kind of like a third world country in some. I port. really don't have any choice with travel with the way my astrology is set up. Like, um, I don't ever. I don't you, like. You would have been a good navigator. Yeah, I don't like travel per se, but I'm always going to do it because of all my ninth house energy. I have tons and tons of energy in the ninth house. So I've never really liked it, but I always ended up like living out of state or out of country or whatever. Like, it's just, it's just the way my energy is, is to be, is to be in a place, but not be of it. That's, that's the, that's one of the call signs of my birth chart. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've been off for two. I feel like that too. Oh, well, I want to. I want you to send me your, your, your birth deets and I'll, I'll look at your chart. I, I have a different way yeah, of doing sure. things. And, uh, 
we've been talking for two hours. My family just got home with dinner, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bust out here. Uh, where can everybody no find Where can everybody find your work, Dylan? The easiest way is uh, just type in beacons b e a c o n s dot a i slash great tide g r e a t t i d e, and that'll take you to all my podcasts, my work, library, socials, all that stuff. But I also want to extend an offer to uh, your audience, whoever sees this. Whenever this goes out, you just let me know. I'll give it three days. So minus the day that it comes out, three days after. Mm -hmm. If you just reach out to me on Instagram, whoever sees this, if you're interested in my Substack, because that's where all my work is now, I will. all you have to do is just send me two messages on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at the holy sailors um and just type gardener send and then your email i'm not going to even read the email i'm just going to copy and paste it and i can give you a free month subscription to my uh substack which will give you access to the archive and then to all the posts i have scheduled to come out for the uh, next month and it's like probably like nine ten ten posts so that's where my work's going and it's i'm able to be more prolific use images um it's it's a real exciting experience to be on Substack. So if everyone, anyone's interested, you like what we were talking about, come come through and I'll, it'll be a way that you can get exposed to my work and then it'll be an opportunity for me to earn your business and we'll go from there. And Dylan, I have to have you on like right quick to actually talk about the oh, Phoenicians. Just so you know, I, I, <laughs> girl, don't even, girl. Listen, I, stay, I fucking stayed up last night. I've worked on two days on it. I got an eight page, seven to eight page of, excellent source like quotes i can uh do some etymology like I, I was prepared to write in phoenician attrition for you like trust me mm -hmm. when you want to do that phoenician podcast we will do it and we'll do it right and my goal will be to give you the best podcast on the internet about Phoenician. awesome I'll, i will to be the, a much to the good gardener yes I'll to be the good gardener goes the spoils <laughs> well thank you sir you have a wonderful evening likewise man it's a pleasure okay talk to you soon yeah I hope you enjoyed Dylan Sicoccio on the BioCharisma podcast. Please check him out on his Substack. And, uh, you know, I'd never even seen Substack. I'm such a troglodyte with certain things. Uh, getting into his work, and uh, I'm going to be reading his four books. My, my wife had ordered his books, like, God, three years ago. And we started getting into Spirit World. Um, a few years back and so now to get his newer work i'm really looking forward to you know getting a little bit more astute to this this whole aspect of etymology and letting that be the navigator for uh discerning what information is accurate there are so many people that i've been listening to as of late that um, <laughs> make some extreme stretches with words. And uh, the thing I like about Dylan is he always pulls me back to that mi middle line and has me check myself and make sure I'm not, I'm not getting too out of line. Um, I'm looking forward to sending him all the information about the change in the Royal stars. Cause in all honesty, I, I can't, I can't say that at least two of the Royal stars have actually changed their fixed positions because I wasn't alive and I didn't, I didn't actually witness it that I'm going on other people's information. 
so it'll be interesting to see how he deciphers that um, because the knowing the age that we're in, I think is important because as you all know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, I think the age kind of sets the context for things. And as a lot of Pisces do, <laughs> we like to get super meta. So thank you for joining us. We're going to have a bunch of really cool uh, guests on getting into water. I got uh, George Weissman coming on. He's been on every single alternative podcast out there. Um, uh, the in owner and inventor of the um, Mayu um, swirl vortexer. Uh, I have them coming on. Um, I'm going to have Moshe Daniel on where we're going to be talking about orgone and the possibilities of uh, orgone that's derived from water. There's just going to be this whole water theme that's moving forward. And uh, Dr. Narcolongo and I, we're going to uh, we're going to come back on and do an interview where we're going to get into uh, more of his overall cosmology and chronology. Um, I'm trying to get this uh, these two more guests that I've really been enjoying their chronology uh, that they've pretty much have the cleanest model that I've seen when it comes to cosmology and chronology and how it relates to all of the uh, Jewish holidays. So I'm excited for all this information. If you guys enjoy the podcast, please support us at topherhq.com at the end of this month and then going into May, or excuse me, we're, yeah, going into May. We're going to be starting to film a bunch of... Uh, I can't tell